What's going on, everybody? My name is Ashton Yanez, alongside is Ryan Jones, and we're hosting another edition of the Stampede. Or we hope you guys are enjoying uh, your morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time it is that you're watching this, as we plan on covering quite a bit of sports topics that have happened already this past week. Uh, we'll be making our predictions for the NFL divisionals. We'll be talking about the James Harden trade and all the coaching that's been, or the coaching carousel that has been spinning quite a bit in the past week and a half. Ryan, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm excited for today's show, ready to talk some football and a little bit of basketball. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to everything for today. Um, should we go off with basketball first or football first? I'm more of a football guy, as probably a lot of you listeners know already from our last segment. But Ryan, I'll go ahead and let you choose. Uh, you know what? I think we should up and get the uh, basketball out of the way. Um, so, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the recent – uh, news that James Harden has been traded to the Brooklyn Nets the, in the four-team trade. The Rockets received Victor Oladipo, a former All-Star, Dante Exum, uh, Rod, and another player, I can't really pronounce his name, Rodion's Kurox, uh, as well as four first-round picks as well and four pick swaps. For those of you that do not know what uh, pick swaps are, basically – over whatever year these picks take place in, whoever has the worst record from the Nets or the Rockets, uh, they will get the higher draft pick. So let's say one team has the 10th pick, one team has the 5th pick. Uh, whoever has the worst record out of the Nets or the Rockets ends up getting the 5th pick. I believe that's how it works. If that's not how it works, that I'm sure somebody will correct me on it. Um, like I said, NBA draft picks are a lot. Uh, there's a lot of ways they work. So it's a little more confusing than just NFL draft picks. Um, so excuse me if I got that wrong, but uh, the Pacers uh, end up getting Karis LeVert, a very good player. And the Cavaliers get Jared Allen and Torian Prince, two good players. Um, I don't want to spend that much time talking about the other players I think we want to focus on James Harden and what he means going to the Nets, what, how that shapes the landscape of the NBA. Can the Nets now compete in the East? Uh, they were struggling this season and what this means for a player like Kyrie Irving, who has not really been there. Um, what this means for Kevin Durant and what this means for the Lakers, because they are the defending champions. Are we going to see a Lakers and Nets title game as many predicted Early, you know, most people thought that the Lakers were going to play the Nets anyways. So does this guarantee that? Or does that worsen this chance because of chemistry? So let's talk about it. Um, personally, I think that it is almost laughable that this trade was allowed to happen, considering that the NBA wouldn't let the Lakers trade for Chris Paul when Kobe Bryant was there. Um you know, and I don't want to compare this to LeBron going to Miami or anything like that because those it, that's a free agent decision, and you can't really control where free agents go. You can't control trades if you're the commissioner, and I'm actually very surprised to see this trade go through. I didn't. I, I feel like the Rockets didn't get enough, um, and obviously the Nets are going to end up winners in this trade. If they don't win a championship this year, though, I consider this trade to be a huge bust and a huge disappointment. We'll say this. I think the only reason why this trade even happened is because 
everyone knows that until the East does have a super team, the Lakers are going to be dominating the NBA for quite some time, or at least in the West side, the Western Conference, they're definitely going to dominate the NBA for the next, I don't know, six to eight years, depending on what players move around the following off seasons. But they, they had to let an East team have a super team. Otherwise, the NBA Finals would just be not as entertaining. You know, we, we saw how well the Miami Heat played uh, in this past NBA Finals. And, you know, other, other than Jimmy Butler, I mean, you can tell that the rest of the team was basically outsized, out-talented. I mean, that LeBron-Anthony Davis combo is, t- is nearly impossible to stop. They're basically playing monkey in the middle with every every NBA defense in the league, in the association or league or wherever you want to call it. So yeah, I, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised that wherever Houston or wherever James Harden was going to go, he was going to go somewhere that was ready to win, not only in the Eastern Conference but win the NBA title next two three seasons. So for the Nets to give up everything, or not everything, but a lot of picks. No, for- they gave up everything. Picks, well, yeah, essentially everything. But to get this guy, it's not really a surprise to me. It is a little bit surprising that uh, Silver let this happen, but I think that just shows how desperate the NBA is for making sure that the next three, four NBA Finals are actually competitive seven-game series. Uh, I don't know if it'll be competitive seven-game series because I mean, I still feel like at this point the Lakers should be the favorite here, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Laker homer. I think that if you know me, I'm a realist when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, and I do think the Lakers should be the favorites. I think they still are at this point. Um, I think the Lakers are more likely to get to lose in the Western Conference playoffs than to lose to the Nets at this point. I, I just think I need to see more. and I need to see if it works uh, with the chemistry and whatnot. Because when you look at this from a basketball standpoint, you look at this from James – you, you got James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, who let's just talk about Kyrie a second. Kyrie is now the third option on his team. He didn't want to be the second option on his team, and that's why he didn't want to play with LeBron James, right? So what does this mean for Kyrie Irving? And another reason I think that the NBA let this happen is that Kyrie might not even be playing basketball anymore. We don't know what he's going, what's going on with him. Um, he hasn't played in about two weeks. He's on a Zoom conference call. Uh, in that's fine, you know. If you wanna, you want to be talking social justice, and if you if you want that to be your thing, go for it, Kyrie. Right? I think the thing is, this is your job. You're a basketball player, right? And I'm not saying you have to be limited to one thing. Obviously, you see LeBron James; he's a huge advocate for social justice and. I think he's at this point the kind of the spokesperson for all athletes when it comes to social justice. The, the other, it's just Kyrie is going out and he's like in strip club. James is Harden too. They're both they're they're both going out to strip clubs during a pandemic, and then I, it just seems like the Nets traded away all their depth, and now they're stuck with a bunch of guys with no chemistry, and there's only one basketball, and a first time head coach for one, Steve Nash. I I just don't, I just, I think this has the potential to be like when the Lakers acquired Steve Nash and Dwight Howard. And we all thought this was going to be the next super team and it failed dramatically. I think it has that kind of potential. Well, again, it's too early to call, you know, it's early in the NBA season. Um, 
it, you know, there's no doubt that at, at one point or another, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, they were all considered number ones on their team. So now to have all three of these guys that we consider ones now playing on the same team, now it's trying to figure out how Steve Nash is going to structure it. Who's really the number one for the Brooklyn Nets? Who's going to be the go-to game-winning shot? And, and granted, all three of these guys can do it on any given day in the NBA regular season and even uh, during championship play. But the, the question is, Who's this team built around? Is it built around Kevin Durant? Is it built around James Harden? Is it built around Kyrie Irving? Well, it's definitely not built around Kyrie Irving. I, I don't think it's Kyrie Irving either, just because we've I've seen him more as a number two when he was in Cleveland, and though he tried to be a number one in Boston, I, I can tell it just wasn't working out. Yeah. Um, I think that there's actually potential that the Nets could trade Kyrie Irving if – a team is willing to take on his contract, his attitude, and the baggage that he brings uh, when it comes to a basketball standpoint. And I think that if you have Kevin Durant and James Harden, I think that they work good together. I mean, we've seen it before. Uh, the two of them, along with what Russell Westbrook, obviously, went to an NBA Finals. Um, I don't know. I just think we need to see more. And obviously, we're not basketball guys. So, you know, we're talking football, but this was huge sports news and, you know, got to get them clicks, got to pay them bills, you know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's about time that we move on from the James Harden stuff, unless you want to add anything else. I just think it was uh, talking about a little bit and mentioning. So, uh, no, I, I'm good with, I'm going to go ahead and move on to, I think we should move on to the coaching stuff because I just uh, read this uh, ESPN update on a new hire in the NFL. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Don't tell me. I will. Did, did you see it? Wow. I like yeah. that. that. You saw it. Yeah. That is awesome. I'm a big fan of that. Yep. So for those who are, you know, just curious what we're both looking at, um, the Jets have hired former 49ers defensive coordinator, Robert Saley, I believe that's how you say his name, right? Saley? Uh, Robert Sala, I think, is how you say Salai. it. Okay. Um, an agreement on a five-year deal to make him their new head coach. So, for the next five years, the Jets now have the former defensive coordinator of the 49ers as their head coach. I definitely like the hire. Ryan, what do you think? I, I'm i a big fan of Robert Sala and the defense that he ran for the 49ers, uh, running a 4-3 scheme. I think that uh, oh my god, dude! This light—it's happening again. Every—it's going to be in every. This is haunted. It's going to be in every episode thing until I figure out my lighting situation. Um, it's going to happen every episode. But your, your home's haunted, at, man. Yeah, Robert Saul. I like the scheme that he runs personally. So obviously, that's a plus. Um, but just going to the kind of person that he is and the culture that he brings. Um, he is a great coach in my opinion. I, I, I don't think there's enough good things that you could say about him. He seems like a guy you'd want to play for there or went again. And honestly, I'm just going to shut the light off and no more distractions. Okay. There we go. Yeah. seems like a guy that you'd want to play for. He's wild. He's wound up on the sidelines. He's definitely coaching his ass off every single Sunday He's always clapping and he's always getting into it. Uh, I love the hire. And I think that's the kind of culture guy that you need if you're the New York Jets. 
obviously, um, I don't know if this means anything, you do anything different as far as the draft is concerned or how you're going to build your team. Uh, you have a few interesting pieces on the defensive side of the ball. You have Quentin Williams, former first round defensive tackle, who I think could really, really shine with a coach like him. So I'm just excited for the Jets organization overall. And I, I love the hire. I think it's 10 out of 10 would recommend it. Uh, what about you? No, I, I really like the hire. I really like that the Jets got a, a defensive minded coach at the head coaching position. Cause I, in my opinion, I feel like it's a little bit easier to find a good offensive coordinator than it is to find a good offensive minded head coach. Because often we see offensive minded head coaches get so distracting to the offense that if they don't have a good enough defensive coordinator, that defense totally slacks off. And I think we're kind of seeing that with the Cowboys, um, maybe a little bit with Cincinnati. I'm not really sure. Um, but I like defense, defensive minded coaches. We're seeing how, even though the Giants didn't have really the best record because they have Joe judge at head coach, it, it's really working out over there in New York. And you can tell that's a team that's going to grow, but with the jets, I think, this is just the beginning of a new era for the New York Jets. I, I think they're, they should be really excited, especially with, again, some of the young talent that the Jets already have, as well as some of the picks that the New York Jets are going to have these next two, three um, NFL drafts. So I think this is a, not only a, a change in the schemes of the offense and defensive side of the ball for New York Jets, but also that just a new culture, just a new culture in general. They're going to finally try to win. Yeah, Um Sala was actually a guy that I thought would have fit with the, the LA Chargers very well. Um, a guy that's going to come in, bring a great culture, but now he's with the Jets. Um, I think the Jets should and will end up getting a new quarterback. So you can kind of usher in a new era um, with Sala and whoever they pick, Fields or Zach Wilson with a two, number two overall pick. Um, let's talk, let's stay on the topic of coaching hires, unless you have anything else you want to add about um, Robert Sala. No, that's all I got on that one. Let's talk about the other ones, guys. I know there's been a few. Yeah. Uh, first, I want to talk about Bill O'Brien getting hired as the offensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Obviously, their uh, offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, he's now the head coach at Texas. Um, great hire for Texas, I think. And um, I'm not. I'm a. I'm a little lukewarm on the on Bill O'Brien going to Alabama. Um, overall, though, I do think that it kind of doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is for Alabama. I think that either way, they're going to have the best talent in the country. And I think they're going to end up being one of the best, the four best teams in the country, uh, regardless of who the OC is. Well, I, I still think it's a, it's a good fit just because even though Bill O'Brien as a head coach and as a GM has really made some, you know, interesting decisions with the Houston Texans organization, I think he's a good offensive minded coach. And I think, um, you know, despite how the Texans have been this year, I think their offense was good. And you can definitely argue that Deshaun Watson pretty much had his best year as a quarterback so far in the National Football League, despite the mess that hey, he had everywhere around him from the defensive side to his own wide receivers and stuff like that, even losing um, DeAndre Hopkins. So I think he'll fit well offensively for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And again, Nick Saban, he's such a good all-around coach, obviously just coming off his seventh national championship, which is now the most in the AP era. Um, it'll be fine. He's going to have so much great talent around, and I, I'm sure no matter what new offensive style, if it's fairly new to what Steve Sarkeesian had last year, it, it should work pretty well, especially with Nick Saban, just once again, just overseeing everything. Yeah, look, I mean, some guys just aren't meant to be head coaches, and clearly he wasn't. 
Um, he made questionable at best decisions when being the GM and head coach as the Houston Texans. I know Texans fans complained about his time management, his clock management, the way he uses timeouts in key situations, how his offense behaved in the two minute warning, how his teams played defensively in the two minute warning. And I think that all kind of boils down to culture. I think when he goes to be the offensive coordinator as an Alabama Crimson Tide uh, coach, I don't think that any of that's going to matter because they obviously have an established coach, coach and culture there in Nick Saban, who is the best of the modern era. And um, I think that he'll be fine there. Uh, do I think he ends up getting another head coaching job anywhere else? No. If he, if he was to go somewhere, I would imagine it would be someplace in college football to be a head coach. I don't think he gets another NFL head coaching job, but uh, for now, I think he'll be he'll do fine as the Alabama uh, OC. Yeah, seems seems like a good fit. And speaking of AFC South teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars have made official and hired uh, Urban Meyer, the former head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And honestly, to tell you the truth, it, it seems like a good fit to me. Obviously, not a lot of these AFC South teams do really well. We know Jacksonville, they had their one good year with Blake Bortles under center and managed to get all the way to the AFC Championship game just before the Patriots took care of business from there. But I, I think this is a, a great way for the Jacksonville franchise to also, in a way, turn itself around and go from no longer being that third, fourth place team in your division almost every year to now being a consistent wild card team to be a, a team that could maybe one day reach the divisional round and even go back to the AFC Championship game. Um, this is, in my opinion, the step in the right direction. I think Urban Meyer is a great coach, and I'm excited to see how well he he makes things different in Jacksonville, especially with their first overall draft pick. Yeah, you just hit it on the nose right there. Uh, he has the first overall draft pick, and his first quarterback in the NFL is going to end up being Trevor Lawrence, who I think that you and I agree on. I think that regardless of where Trevor Lawrence ended up, he would end up being – at least a top 15 quarterback the second he steps on to an NFL field. So he has that going for him. And normally when you get the quarterback right, everything else comes easier. Obviously there's a few instances where good quarterbacks have had bad seasons uh, as far as team record wise. But for the most part, when you get the quarterback right and you have a good culture around the quarterback and he has weapons and everything, which he will have in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence, winning comes a lot easier. Do I think that the tech that the Jaguars are like an instant Super Bowl contender? Do I think they're going to make the playoffs next season? Probably not. I, I think that their defense is still so far away. Um, but the thing about Urban Meyer is he's known for the culture that he had at Ohio state. Um, obviously he hasn't coached since 2011. So I don't know if that will hurt him at all. Uh, maybe adjusting to the modern game. I know we've seen coaches in the past kind of adjust to the modern game, but I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be calling the offense or the defense there. Um, and he's also known for hiring great assistants. I mean, we look at Ryan Day at Ohio State, who's one of the best college coaches in the whole NCAA. And uh, Urban Meyer was responsible for finding him and making sure that he would be the successor to him at Ohio State. So if there's one thing that Urban Meyer is good at, it's culture. And he's known for hiring great assistants. So I have complete faith in him as the Jacksonville head coach. I want to ask you a question though. Okay. Um, I think obviously we like, we both like the hire. If he ends up succeeding in the NFL, where do you think he would rank all time 
in the overarching conversation of like best coaches ever, because we've seen college coaches go in to the NFL and fail. We've seen Nick Saban fail in the NFL. We've seen Chip Kelly fail in the NFL. If Urban Meyer can go and succeed in the NFL, something that even Nick Saban couldn't do, does this boost him over Nick Saban, like all time in the coaching ranks? You know, like maybe, I don't know. I just wanted to get your kind of take on that. And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but. Well, well, first it's going to come down to the level of success he has, because even though uh, like Nick Saban, Urban Meyer is a multinational championship head coach, you know, winning, uh, I believe two with Florida, uh, one with Ohio State. I mean, he, he's good at creating good football teams in the college football world. Can he make Jacksonville a good football team in the NFL? I think so. I think they'll at least be at least okay, at least decent. Um, but rather they will be a good, solid NFL franchise. Um, that's that's still uncertain, let alone can he get them to win Super Bowls? Because I think that's what it's going to come down to at that point. If Urban Meyer wants to be considered one of the greatest head coaches in the football world, um, he, he's definitely got to be able to, one, flip the culture in Jacksonville, and two, make them a competitive team to where they're even you know, playing with the Colts and the Titans for the AFC South Championship, and then being able to go on from there and be able to compete with a growing Cleveland Browns team, um, a almost dynasty type Kansas City Chiefs team, um, an uprising Buffalo Bills team. Um, it, it's really going to depend. And he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders already because of how competitive the AFC side of the NFL already is. Oh, man. You so know, it just depends on his success. Yeah, let's, I kind of want, let's talk about um, the AFC a little bit just as, as it pertains to Urban Meyer. Uh, Urban Meyer's walking into a job where if he wants to make the playoffs, he's going to have to compete with like for years, the NFC was considered the better conference, right? Now I'm not so sure because you have Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, soon to be Trevor Lawrence, who might be what the fifth best quarterback in the AFC there. Justin Herbert. Deshaun Watson. Justin Herbert, you have a lot of really good quarterbacks. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, yeah, exactly. You have a lot of great quarterbacks in the AFC. Um, I, I think that he's walking into a very competitive AFC, and it's going to be interesting to see years from now if he's going to be able to compete uh, for a Super Bowl or even playoff contention. There's a lot on his shoulders, but I will say he is considered one of the greatest college football head coaches of all time. Yeah. Um, right now, it's in regards to being the best coach ever compared to Nick Saban. I still think Nick Saban is just a better head coach. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with that. Just because he's built a consistent dynasty that has been dominating for nearly over a decade. And obviously now he has the most national championships all time during the AP, DCS slash college football playoff eras. Um. You know, I, I, you know, when I was texting you earlier talking about the, um, let me uh, pull something up real quick. Um, I wanted to talk about all of the open jobs that are available. And if me and you can kind of put a rank, put a ranking together of where we think the best jobs would be. 
Uh, I think that at this point, I think we could take the Jets out of the conversation because they've hired a great head coach, I think. So let me uh, quickly look up all of the vacant, all coaching jobs open. NFL, just so we have the list in front of us, I think we all know it. Um, One second. Trying to find it. I know it's in here. Okay. Okay. So I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the open jobs in the NFL are the Eagles, Eagles, Chargers, Chargers, Lions. Um, the Jets have filled their vacancy, and the Jaguars have filled their vacancy. Falcons are up. Falcons, I believe Arthur Smith is the favorite to go there. Um, I think that's it. Oh, no, and Houston. And the Texans. And Oh, this one doesn't show Philly either. Yeah, so I have the Eagles, the Chargers, the Lions, the Falcons, and the Texans. Yep. Uh, the Jets and Jaguars have already filled their vacancies. Uh, both, I think, have you know very good head coaches now. Um so yeah, let's kind of rank them. I want to put them in order of, I the okay. We have to agree on these rankings, okay? Okay. So, I want to start off by saying, I think the Chargers is easily the best job out of all of those. Any disagreement there? I think no, that that one's definitely the best because it already has a bunch of young talent. It already has a good defense. It already has a solid quarterback. Easily the personnel is there. You really just need to be a good coach. And this is the team that easily could have been, you know, 11 and 5, 12 and 4. This is a team that is good. It just needs to be coached the right way. It just needs to have the right schemes, the right play callings at the right situations. Okay. So we agree with the Chargers being ranked number one. Yep. Um, I would argue that the Texans is the second best job just because of who their quarterback is, meaning obviously they don't have the cap space you'd like. Uh, they have aging superstar on defense. They don't have many weapons on the receiving end, but you have Deshaun Watson there. And if you have the support of your franchise quarterback, even if it's not this year, in the future, you'll be able to make it work. And I think that it, I look, the Lions, I think, are clearly the last one. Either the Lions or the Eagles are the worst job, but I really think that the Texans are the second one. What do you think? So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't like – I don't think the Houston job doesn't have a lot to offer. Yes, they currently have Deshaun Watson, but even he don't like being there. So if he does plan on getting traded away or if Houston thinks that, you know, Deshaun – Deshaun Watson is, is worth a lot of trade collateral and try and gank their picks back that they lost to because of Bill O'Brien. I mean, it, as, as a, anyone who decides to take the head coaching job at Houston, you really have to decide, can you let Deshaun Watson carry the entire team on his back? Or should you just train him away and start from scratch completely so that you can try and create a more long-term winning culture? Because it would take so much time to rebuild this team if you keep Deshaun Watson because of all the first-round picks that Bill O'Brien already traded away 
this year. Okay, then if you don't want the Texans to have the number two spot, who should go in the number two spot? Because um, look, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the Falcons' job, but you do have Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. You have the potential to have a winning season in your first year as a head coach. And you also have the number four overall pick in the draft uh, that you could use on a quarterback if you want, or you could trade down, maybe draft the defensive player. So I'm assuming you'd want the Falcons as the number two team. Yeah, I was looking at the Falcons. I think that one's at least easier for a new head coach to decide what his identity is going to be because you do have all this personnel already to work with. And you can decide to either keep that personnel and have a, a decent system that works around those guys, or you can trade some players, make some moves in the NFL draft, and already start, you know, start already investing in your own long-term coaching schemes by having some young talent around you. So I think if you're Atlanta, you, you have options at least. I feel like with Houston, you're just playing heads or tails with Deshaun Watson. And I just feel like that's too – you don't want Deshaun Watson to be – the reason if you're going to keep your head coaching job or not. Okay. I, I would argue that Houston is still a better job than Philadelphia or Detroit. I think that. Look, yeah. I think, I think the Detroit job and the Philadelphia jobs are, are really messy. Um, there are ways to clean it up, but I think the Houston job, at least, um, you know, at least you'll get a lot out of Deshaun Watson in, in picks if you decide to trade him, especially since the rumor is he could go to Miami because that's what he's been looking at. And we know Miami, they definitely have the collateral. So I think if you are going to take that Houston job, it's obviously because the only jobs left are the Eagles and Lions. Okay. So which is a worse job? Going to Philadelphia, where you have – two quarterbacks on your roster. You have to make a decision there and trade one away probably. Um, you have an aging offensive line with, that's very injury prone. Um, no receiver, no receivers. You do have this number six overall pick, if I'm not mistaken, that you could spend on like a Devontae Smith um, or a defensive player if you think that that would be your priority. Or the Lions job where you have a lot of nothing and you have Matthew Stafford, who is an aging quarterback that you would potentially – you might need to trade away uh, Matthew Stafford if you want to go full-on rebuild uh, if you're the Lions head coach. I don't know. I would argue that the Philadelphia job is probably better than the Lions job um, just because you could trade Carson Wentz or Jalen Hurts, whoever you bill – view as the better quarterback or the the less of the two, you know? Um, and you could probably get a second round pick for each of them, right? Or at least probably, probably a third round for Wentz at this point. You can get a second round for Jalen Hurts. It just kind of depends on who you view as the franchise quarterback. Uh, I would argue that the Philadelphia job is probably better than the Detroit job. No, I agree. I think the Detroit job, even though they're always consistently having high draft picks, um, you know, this year it says that they have the seventh pick where the Eagles still have the sixth. So obviously if you take the Eagles job, you're already going to have a better decision of what new players come into your organization. And then also the Eagles themselves, they already have, you know, some value within their roster. You know, you have guys that, are, that you're going to have to choose to either stay or go. And you, you at least have two quarterbacks to decide, okay, now which of these two good quarterbacks can work around my scheme? 
And if you feel like that you can make a scheme work with Jalen Hurts, who's a really talented quarterback and doesn't have that crazy QB1 contract that Carson Wentz has, then it should really be a more attractable job than Detroit, especially since Detroit, um, it doesn't seem like that they're going to have a major change happen anytime soon. It doesn't seem like Matthew Stafford's leaving the NFL just yet. And we just know how more traditional the Ford family is running that organization. Um, I also think that no matter which job you're going to, both of them have um, an impatient fan base, uh, both in Detroit and Philadelphia. I think that if you kind of show some life with the Lions, you're more likely to last there if you're a head coach because I think that the fans have had nothing but garbage for a very long time, right? Whereas in Philadelphia, it seems if you have like one bad season, you're already out as the head coach. Um, I think Philadelphia is more impatient. So I think that'd be another argument for maybe why Detroit would be a better job as well, like as far as job security is concerned. But I just think the Eagles have more to offer uh, roster wise. Well, also, I guess which of these two teams has a easier path to win their division the following yeah. year? I mean, what's in the way of Detroit? I don't know. The Bears, the Vikings, the Packers, at least. And if you decide to take the Eagles job, you're just competing with the NFC East. So if you're already a decent coach and you can just find ways to make good moves during the offseason, you already have a good shot of winning your division. Yeah, I agree 100%. So uh, real quick, want to go through our final list. Um, I'm curious. I think that uh, where I, I want to – I you know maybe we spent too much time on this already. I was going to ask where on this list would you put the Jaguars and the Jets job. I, I think that those are both jobs that are up there with like the Chargers job. Um Maybe not the Jets job, uh, but I think, man, you have the number two overall pick, man. That's uh, You can potentially walk in with your choice of a franchise quarterback. I think that both of these jobs would uh, be ranked ahead of the Falcons job, uh, but underneath the Chargers job. So uh, really quick, going through our final list, uh, we have the Chargers as the best head coaching job. I hope that that is announced very soon. We could talk about it on the show. The Falcons are the number two job. The Texans are three. The Eagles are four and the Lions are five. Um, nice to see we could both agree on that. I don't think that – I really th- didn't think we'd have much disagreement there anyway, so. That nah, worked out. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, time to for the divisional round NFL playoff predictions brought to you by the Stampede. Here we go. I'm going to go in order of the game's uh, in which they are scheduled to go. So first on the slate, we have the number six seed LA Rams traveling to Green Bay to take on the number one seeded Packers. Ashton, give me your thoughts ahead of this Saturday game. This is going to be an interesting game because you really have Aaron Rodgers leading one of the top offenses in the NFC versus the Rams defense that's, you could argue, you could argue and say that this is probably one of the best in the NFL, not just in the NFC. Um, it, it's really going to be a Aaron Donald versus Aaron Rodgers type of thing. And I really think because Green Bay's O-line has gotten a little bit better this year and because Devontae Adams is healthy and because Aaron Jones is still around, um, I, I really see the Green Bay Packers having the edge, especially since they're going to be hosting that game in Lambeau Field in mid-January. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Rams defense stacks up against this high-powered Packers offense featuring Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, and this really good offensive line. I think that the interesting matchup here is going to be Jalen Ramsey going up against Devontae Adams, and, and we're going to see who wins that matchup. Um, I would imagine that Devontae Adams gets the edge just because normally the receiver does get the edge, uh, especially with the way the rules are structured nowadays and whatnot. And plus Adams is probably if the best receiver in the NFL this season. I would imagine – do you agree with me there? I think – like he's the best receiver, right? <laughs> I'll say he definitely has the best footwork. If there's any guy that can, you know, find ways to make, you know, Jalen Ramsey kind of shovel his legs a bit, it's going to probably be Devontae Adams. That guy can really make you think that he's running the slant when he's really running the nine, or he can make you really think he's going deep and all of a sudden he runs that quick curl, a quick hook route, or, you know, even that quick slant. He, he has so many ways of making one route look like the other. And I think he's one of the best in the NFL in regards to creating that separation, having good hands, and just being anywhere he needs to be for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think uh, one note that I wanted to make, uh, John Wolford, uh, the former starting quarterback of the Rams for about two weeks there, he is out in this game. Jared Goff will be starting, and the backup will be Blake Bortles, if anything were to happen to Jared Goff. So not the greatest quarterback situation for the Rams here. Um, I think that it's really going to come down to which other Green Bay receiver steps up. When you have Jalen Ramsey on the field, he's taking Devontae Adams out for the, you know, for the most part. I think Devontae Adams will still be able to do his damage, but you're going to need somebody else in this game to step up, whether it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, whether it's the tight end Robert Tanyan, or whether it's Aaron Jones. And um, it's going to be interesting to see Green Bay if they're able to run the football against Aaron Donald in this really, really good Rams defense. I think this could be a really low-scoring affair. I have the Packers winning here. Who do you got? Uh, I have the Packers as well, and I and I really think the only way I could see the Rams even, uh, you know, even coming out of this game alive and advancing to the NFC Championship game would be if Cam Akers has a really good game because he was probably one of the reasons why um, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey they still had they were still really conditioned into that fourth quarter because they weren't on the field as much as that we would have probably seen them be because Jared Goff was hurt and because Warford was hurt as well. Uh, I'm gonna check on that i know acres i think he might have gotten hurt in last games i'm gonna check real quick oh see. he's hurt then it's definitely green bay it's all green bay um is he playing versus pat let me look on let me look real quick because in the stadiums like lambo field position could easily win you the game yeah it looks like he is good to go so oh he is good to go okay so he, he is gonna be the one he's gonna be the one wild card factor for the Rams to compete in this NFC divisional round. Well, the thing that helped the Rams last week is that they finally got back their, uh, their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, uh, future hall of fame, Andrew Whitworth, who actually went down earlier in the season uh, with some sort of a knee injury, if I'm not mistaken. And he was activated right in time for the playoffs. So it helps them a lot that they're getting him back. If the Rams are going to have any chance in this game, they're going to need Jared Goff to actually show up, like he has in the past and play well and play good football. If he continues to play like he's been playing, you know, hurt, throwing bad balls, inconsistent uh, turnovers, then I think the Packers win. If you had to give a final score prediction of this game, what would you give Ashton? I would say it's hard to tell because of that dominant defense with Darren Arnold, with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, but I would have to say, Probably 28-21. 
Packers. I think it's going to be a one-score game, too. I wrote down 24-17. to 17. I just don't think that the Rams' offense, as long as they don't have a good quarterback playing, um, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with Aaron Rodgers. And plus, you, you got to remember, this is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. The best quarterbacks find ways to win uh, against, you know, good defenses. So we're both taking the Packers. Packers. Moving on, we have the number six seeded Cleveland Browns going into Kansas City to take on the number one seeded Chiefs. I think this is probably going to be the best game of the weekend. And obviously I'm a little higher on Cleveland than everybody else, but I think that if any team has a chance to upset the Chiefs, I think it's this Cleveland Browns, and I think it's because of the offense that they run, this high-powered run game. Um, I think it really boils down to can Miles Garrett get to Patrick Mahomes? Because if you can get to Patrick Mahomes and disrupt him, you have a better chance at winning this football game. It's definitely going to be a good game, but I really see the Chiefs kind of pulling away, especially in the second half. We've seen how well this Chiefs team plays, even when they're falling from behind, you know, down 24, down 28 points. They always find a way to win. And I really think as long as Andy Reid's their head coach, they'll find a way to work around Miles Garrett. They'll find ways to work around the rest of Cleveland's defense. And they'll find ways to get rid of that run game so it doesn't open up the play action for Baker Mayfield. Well, I think we've what we've seen over the last of uh, this last half of the season is that Baker Mayfield slowly progressing and evolving as a quarterback to where I don't really think that he's I think Baker's gotten to the point where he's going to be able to sit back in the pocket. He doesn't need the script, the play action. I think you can agree with me on this. He's shown major progression this second half of the season. I think it, it really boils down to can, can they just keep up with the Chiefs? The offense is good enough, but and I really think it's going to boil down to who has the last possession. The Chiefs haven't beaten an opponent this season by more than one score since week eight versus the Jets. So since week nine, every single game they've been in has been one point. Now, whether that is them taking the regular season not as seriously, um, I don't know. So, or maybe this team just isn't as good as last season. We're going to see. We're going to see if the bye week and the rest has benefited the Chiefs or if it doesn't benefit the Chiefs. Like we saw, we saw the Steelers who rested their starters week 17. They came out rusty against the Browns, and the Browns just absolutely pounded them. Jumped out to a 28-point lead. I don't think that's going to happen this time, obviously. I'm actually going to end up taking the Chiefs here, but I think it's going to be a shootout. I got the Chiefs winning 35-34. to 34. What do you think your score prediction is going to be? Um, I definitely see him being a shootout, but I don't think it'll be down to a one-point play or a one-point game. Um, I would probably say 45 to 35. I think that even if the Browns – yeah, even yeah, even if the Browns lose this game, which is more than likely going to happen, I think you view the season as a success and you go into the offseason – feeling that you can compete next season for a Super Bowl. And I really think that the Browns are going to come out next season if they end up losing this game and being one of the best teams in the NFL next season. Um, maybe I'm overreacting to the Steelers' victory, but I think that if any team has a chance to upset the Chiefs in the AFC, I think that the Browns have the best chance. Well, we'll see. All right, next up on the slate – Sunday games, the number five seeded Baltimore Ravens 
traveling to the number two seeded Buffalo Bills. Uh, I think this is one of the most interesting games of the weekend as well. Um, which player, which quarterback is going to perform better against two pretty good defenses? You have the Bills defense and the Ravens defense, two of the better defenses in the NFL. One note that I wanted to make is that the Ravens are the highest blitzing team in the NFL, according to PFF. And Josh Allen is the number one graded player versus the blitz, according to PFF. So I really think that Josh Allen is just going to kind of have a field day with this Baltimore Ravens defense. I'm taking the bills and a probably about a 10 point victory. I'll say 27 to 17. You know, this is a game that I think will be, will be pretty close. I think it'll be down to a touchdown. I mean, regardless of which quarterback will actually play better, um, it's, it's hard to tell because they both play two different styles of football, not only on the offensive side, but defensive side. I think Lamar Jackson will definitely have a better run game as a quarterback than Josh Allen. But I also think Josh Allen's going to have a so much better passing game against Lamar Jackson in this game because of how well he can throw the ball, especially against blitzes, especially when he has Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs. Um, you know, he's a lot of go-to players and even a, uh, you know, Knox and Crop, like he has some good, some good tight ends that know how to react on those blitzes as well. So it's going to be interesting. I think this is going to be one of those shootout types of games, assuming that the Baltimore Ravens stick to the run game heavily, like they did against Tennessee. Um, I think it'll be a, I want to say 35-28. I think that, so we're both taking the bills here. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're both going to take the Bills here. I think that in order for the Ravens to win, that I think Lamar Jackson is just going to have to play hero ball like he did his MVP season and put the team on his back. He's going to have to rush for like 200 yards on his own. I, I just think that the Bills are rolling, and they're one of the hottest teams in the NFL, just kind of like the Browns, right? Both of these teams, the Bills and the Browns, have a good a good chance to upset the Chiefs in the AFC and on the AFC side. It's going to be interesting to see uh, who wins this ball game. Um, especially considering um, Buffalo has, you know, really, really good coordinators here. And the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator has shown an inability to adjust uh, mid-game. So if the Bills get out to a hot start, I, I, th- I expect the Bills to actually blow out the Ravens. But I, I just think that it's going to be a closer, a closer game. So a low-scoring game, actually. So... All right, moving on to the final game of the weekend. The number five seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers going up against the number two seeded New Orleans Saints. Uh, this game is in New Orleans. The Saints have gone 2-0 versus the Bucks. Do you think they're going to advance to 3-0? I think so. I just don't I just don't see any evidence that's going to suggest it's really going to change. I know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team on paper looks better. I know that they've acquired Antonio Brown during the during the regular season, but I just think Sean Payne's a better coach. I think Drew Brees at this moment is a better quarterback. I think What? I, I'm sorry. At this Dude, oh my. I think oh, under under Sean Payton's style, Drew Brees is playing a little bit better than Tom Brady. I know Tom Brady can actually throw the ball further than 25 yards, but I think under Sean Payton's system, Drew Brees will probably have a better day than Tom Brady in that game, especially if Sean Payne knows how to stop Tom Brady defensively like he did the last two times. Well, there's a lot to unpack right there. First of all, 
For one, Drew Brees has not played very well this season. Uh, didn't play very well last week. He's number one in accuracy. Two, I think Brady um, has better weapons. Um, I think it's really going to boil down to whether or not this Saints, the Saints secondary um, can hold up against the Bucks receiving core and this Tampa Bay offense, who's kind of fine. I think they finally found uh, their formula. And I think it's, I, I feel like we see this story every single year where um, the Saints go into the postseason, heavy favorites, and then they end up choking like they always do. I, I don't think that this is the Saints' year. I have more faith in the greatest quarterback of all time. I think that the, he has been playing better uh, than Drew Brees this season and up to this point in the postseason. I'm taking the Bucks here, 30-20. to 20, um, And I'm a, uh, give me a score prediction for the Saints. 31-24, Saints. Okay. I'll keep it close because I think after two games, Tampa Bay will find a way to score. But I just see New Orleans still having the edge. I I disagree. I think the Bucks are rolling. I think that they since the bye week they're undefeated. They haven't lost a single game, um, and I think they're absolutely playing the best football. I, I fully expect hot take here. I think the Bucks are going to win the NFC. So. Yeah, that, that is a pretty hot take. I, I don't know. I think that Green Bay team, they'll find a way to come back and beat them, even well, though they beat them in the regular season. Well, we are going to see next week. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is all the topics we have here on the Stampede. Um, I'm going to quickly recap. We are both taking the Packers. We're both taking the Chiefs. We're both taking the Bills. I am taking the Buccaneers. Ashton's taking the Saints. And... I'm very excited for this divisional round of playoffs. I think it's going to be a great weekend of football, and I cannot wait to come back together here Tuesday and uh, get together and record another episode of The Stampede. Uh, These first two episodes, I think, have been a blast. And if you guys are not yet, subscribe to the channel, like the video. I'm going to also be posting clips uh, and whatnot of our podcast. If you don't have a time to stick around for – the entire hour-long podcast, however long the podcast ends up being. You know, our first podcast went an hour and 45 minutes. I posted individual clips, five-minute clips here and there of each topic that we talked about. So if you don't have the time to stick around for the whole hour, go ahead, watch the clips. Do us all a favor, like the video, subscribe, comment. Let's have a debate down in the comments if you disagree with our assessment, you know? Um. I think that's it. Anything else you want to add before we conclude the stampede, Ashton? Um, just I'm really looking forward to watching that Saints Buccaneers game to see which of us is right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it'll. I. I'm, I would imagine on the Tuesday show, that game will lead the topic, and that'll be the first thing we discuss on the show. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, I think this is going to conclude this episode of the Stampede. My name is Ryan Jones, along with Ashton Yanez, and we will see you next time.